are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I'm one of two hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis on X and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, chances are how you found us. Welcome in. Hello. If you're a returning listener and returning champion, welcome back. I am based in California, and I am now tossing it to our fellow North American friends in Canada. Mr. John Reed is joining us. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome in. Well, thank you. Starting off the week with a nice little choke in women's tennis, as we are wont to do. So, I mean, it feels like normal. It's been a week since we recorded, but it feels like any other day. Chokes to start off from a set and break up. Is it really a betting week unless you've experienced your first choke, John? Right, exactly. <laughs> also, I had it up. The USO Qualies draw not out yet, right? So it just came out. It dropped on Twitter. Oh, uh, as we're, Legitimately, as we are speaking, the draws account tweeted 30 seconds from this word right here. So, Well, on uh, today's show, or this week's show, we're going to be talking Winston-Salem and doing a peripheral glance at USO Qualies. But first, we always kick off with our accountability segment. What did we win? What did we learn? Wins. Dusan Lajovic set one money line plus 385 versus Sinner. Cash that for me. Thank you. Ben Shelton and Steph Sitsipas over 22 and a half. Shelton plus three and a half games. Those came in. Uh, but this will pivot us to the losses uh, we had to win a set and the money line. Uh, Steph got set out in uh, straight sets, both at tiebreak, but John correctly predicted that this would be two tiebreak sets, and there you go. John, you lost on the under in Dusan Center, sadly, and then... I almost... Did you see how that almost came in, though? Livich had three break points to serve for it, and like I think it would have stayed under... Had he taken one of them and then served it, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a plus 800 under. Like, the the, the under hits because of plus 800 wins in straight sets. And, of course, it he didn't. But I was like, I didn't deserve that. But I was like, that I could have used that good luck to go my way. You know, that, that felt like one for the good guys. And, of course, it just falls short. How about the overs in Stan Wawrinka? Uh, Francis Tiafo talked about that on the last podcast. And uh, Tiafo, I, I don't know if he was just, like, looking at New York, like, Two weeks out, but uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty dud performance. Uh, falling, I it wasn't just fall short, falls well short as Stan Morinka blasts Tiafo off the court. Cincinnati, no tie breaks, no overs, uh, in that one. So, took an L on that weird one for Francis. I felt Warinka, I believe you cash the next day because the scheduling. This is something uh, that I think if people aren't paying attention to is, is good to talk about real quick but so some of these older guys get a little hamstrung with the scheduling and uh, Warinka played that the last match on uh against Tiafo and then was back relatively quick uh John you were onto that versus well, who, who did Warinka play I forget now it was um Maxi Purcell baby <laughs> yeah next <laughs> all next. week long Purcell was a, a great bet all week. Talk to us about that, uh, if you can, for a minute, John, or for a sec, if you have any thoughts about that uh, in terms of keeping an eye on the scheduling. It's one of the most important things if you're going to make yourself a qualitatively kind of base handicapper, right, is these are the things that when the data shows Vavrink is the better player, he's got a longer history, he's got the bigger weapons on a, and it's a, it's a quicker court. Like all these things point towards Stan. You're going to see him be, be the favorite and he was actually a, a pretty big favorite. I almost went, <clears throat> pardon me, I almost went a unit and a half against him 
or two units on that dog money line because it looked really nice. And you've got to find places where, again, if you're going to be data-oriented, then then run the models, run the, the serve percentages, the hold break, and see if you can find discrepancies. But keep in mind, the books, that's pretty much what they do. They combine a little bit of ELO, a little bit of statistics, uh, and that's how they get their openers. So, I mean, unless you're going to weight them differently, slightly differently, you're not really going to get you're not going to get prices that show value very often. But in these qualitative things, like one, I love Max Percival's game. I think it is super underrated. And because he hasn't played a lot of singles full time until late last year, there's a lot of people that just aren't aware of how good he can be. He does have the top 50, top 40 kind of talent for me. The serve is underrated. The slice is elite. The net game's elite. Uh, the point construction is, is really smart. He can rip the forehand when you, if you get lazy recovering to the center of the court, he will hit through that open space. He has the ability to. It's just a really well-rounded game, and, and there's a definite undervaluation on him. Not anymore because he just you know pushed Alcaraz, went deep in Cincinnati. But uh, there's spots where if you can fade Vavrinka like this, you got to take it. The guy we've seen, like a lot like Dommy team as well lately uh, in the last year or so, the legs just aren't there for multiple matches consecutively. And if they play a really strong match one night and come back and play a somewhat early match the next day, even if it's quick the night before, I'm not huge on their prospects. I'd also think that he was, you're, you're just talking about him playing the top end of his game against Francis Tiafo, right? So there's just going to be a, he looked great against Tiafo, just beat a top 10 player, top 15 player in the world. And so he's going to, there's going to be a huge overreaction to that. There's just certain ways to pick apart uh, poor prices from a qualitative perspective that doesn't um, kind of necessitate the data uh, and the the whole break percentages and ELOs where you can still find edges in the markets. Well, I thought that was a super uh, sharp play. And uh, yeah, well done, John. Quick recap of our draw talk, which was uh, most of the episode last week. And uh, yeah, well, we predicted Alcaraz and Djokovic in the final, which, you know, uh, not exactly a bold prediction uh, comes in. I will say I was onto something with Hubie <laughs> the positive variance uh, did happen that I that I talked about, and the the plus the one the only one I missed, which I wish I would have uh, played, was uh, the plus one twenty five versus Sitsi Boss, which you 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 tossed him out, uh, Steph, early uh, in in the draw talk last week. Um, so I don't know why I was hesitant. I guess it was even though we're not big head to head people i mean it is a pretty lopsided head-to-head and i don't know i just felt like uh, i just i i went with the totals instead of the instead of the full money line uh, which i think you did as yeah. well john i i went for the tie break as well i'm sorry but but plus 175 um for a tie break versus plus 175 for a hubie money line it it just feels to me like a first set tie break was far like far a, a little more likely than the Hubie money line. And if you're getting the same price, to me, it's still the right bet. Then I, you know, you realize, and since he passed through both his, the games in which he broke, he was broken away. It was nothing Hubie did. Let's be very clear. But yes, that was also, it, it should have been both. I should have had both. And I think that's what you're saying too, is like, yeah, I think the overs were, were still the right play, but you'd like to have some money line in there as well, knowing that neither of these guys can return worth a shit. And they're both great servers. And it's a fast court. Like, if you're going to get either one of those guys as a huge dog, you should have taken him. And that's where I think the mistake was made, at least for my part, in in only taking uh, the tiebreak. Yes, do I think the tiebreak had a bit more value? Sure. Does that mean the money line didn't? No. And that's where I kind of, I made a, I made a miscalculation. I did that with uh, Medvedev or Zverev too. I thought that was a poor bet, 
even before it officially lost, I, you know, I didn't account for the the backhand to backhand exchanges there. I didn't account for the fact that, you know, I say all the time, Medvedev has a very, he's very good, but it's not the most, you know, well-rounded game. It's not the most dominant game you're going to see. And guys like Zverev that can stick with him are going to cause him problems. So I made a few mistakes last week and then it's about learning and, and trying not to make them again. We learn, we don't lose, John. Uh, That's right. People, That's people right. say that <laughs> I think as a way to like uh, shirk bad picks. Uh, but I, I I feel like we're we're generally out here trying to get better, which is the whole point uh, of this segment. So there you go. Uh, oh, and before we move on real fast, avoided the choke thanks to a retirement. And that's something we're going to see this week, too, by the way. We saw him in Cincy. We're going to see him again this week. Uh, big time. So we could <laughs> talk about the final, which was epic between Carlos and Novak. But it's been pretty well discussed out there. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep it moving. Spend most of the real estate of this episode talking about Winston-Salem and some first-glance USO qualities. Uh, so we'll dig into all of that after I talk to you about Spotify for Podcasters. All right, John, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, this week for the ATP Tour. I'm a big fan of this event, actually. One of the better pre-Slam Week tournaments. The facilities are pretty good. Quick tournament overview. Uh, this outdoor hardcore event, was once upon a time located in Long Island, New York in the early 80s before a brief stint in New Haven, Connecticut, and ultimately landing in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Wake Forest University in 2011. As I mentioned, pretty nice facilities on campus here. This 250 event is typically medium-slow conditions. Uh, it's not Acapulco or Los Cabos or Indian Wells, but it's definitely not Cincinnati last week. And It's one of the truest wide-open events on tour. Past champs include Adrian Manorino, who beat Laszlo Gere last year in the final. Ilya Avashka won this, uh, beating Michael Emer in the final in 2021. Emer beat uh, pre-superstar Alcaraz in the way to that final. Hubie Hercash uh, beat Benoit Paire in 2019. Daniil Medvedev beat Stevie Johnson in 2018. So that's a real hodgepodge of, of names and champs here. And John, uh, you mentioned the retirements. And uh, yeah, they're probably going to be coming heavy and often. On top of it being... You know, a pre-slam week. The weather here is going to be pretty grueling. The heat conditions appear to be insane. Not only high humidity, uh, but in the 90s, hitting a potential 99 degrees on Friday. Rain on Saturday, but wouldn't be shocked to see it before because of uh, the, the the elements with the high heat. Yeah. What are you thinking about the conditions here, Winston-Salem in general, John? I think it's closer to medium than medium-slow, but I would definitely agree it's not anywhere in the Australia or Cincinnati or, you know, French indoor hard court vicinity in terms of court speeds and this is going to be a place where as you alluded to the weather here i think it, it last year i noticed it was very different day to night i mean you you can take a look right now at jack draper and nuno borges just playing a serve fest through five games and then go back to night session matches from last year the nakashima kubler match it seemed relatively quick but but it is very different at night uh, um, that's why I think tonight Gasquet against Rinder or not Rinder Kadesh, pardon me, Huesler, the other tall, lanky, big server. That should be something that Gasquet is going to enjoy a little more. He lost an epic here last year at night against Laszlo Jerry. And I think again, as, as they slow conditions, slow, slow down a bit. I think, you know, Laszlo is someone to watch in this spot, but, um, that's, that's where I'd go with conditions. I think you're, you're somewhere in the middle here. I don't think you're as quick as. Uh, the, the quickest hardcourts out there, you're certainly not in, in the, you know, Los Cabos, Acapulco, Indian Wells, or old Miami range either. So maybe like a Toronto 
That's, I think yeah. it's also late cold. I think they use the same courts as well, the same brand of of court, the same court manufacturer. So I think you're probably in that Toronto area. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some matches here where guys are going to struggle to hold serve, uh, especially a- anyone underpowered. I think uh, it's real susceptible to getting broken. The biggest headline so far, as we've had a day of play here, uh, Juan Ma Sarandolo beats Wimbledon sensation Roman Sefillion as a massive dog. I want to say he was like plus 700 or something. It was pretty up there. Brandon Nakashima avoids defeat in three sets versus Jason Kubler. Our guy McCubler, he catched the over, but fell apart in the tie break from 3-1 up. Uh, I chased uh, Juan Pablo Vareas versus Mickelson, uh, which was tight uh, until it wasn't. Uh, JPV gets bageled in the third but plus 321 i was just like you know clay grinder kind of a different type of player than i'm not sure mickelson had played yet um, but mickelson stood up pretty well and, and looked pretty good and he might be a name that we're going to be talking about as we pivot over to draw talk prepare for chaos here folks uh, pre-slam week uh, always the motivation versus non-motivation narrative happening for these players this field is littered with guys who are looking for some form though uh, I mean, Borda Chorich playing this event is because he literally has no form. Sebastian Corda is here because he has no form. Took a wild card in. So, but then there are the guys like Talon Greekspor. Does he think he can take down the U.S. Open? Mm, probably not. So I would think he's pretty motivated to add another 250 title to his mantle. But let's break it down here. Borda Chorich, like I mentioned, he's the one seed at the top. Greek sport, he's the two seed on the bottom. Corda is the three seed on the Greek sport side. Jera, who was in the final here, he's the four seed on the Chorich side. Any names popping out to you or any just general thoughts here on this draw, John? Well, look at look at the the diff the imbalance between the top and bottom halves. I mean, I'm not saying we're not gonna get chaos. I agree that we will have chaos, but I don't even think you need the chaos for there to be like a, an odd finalist because that top half is like what on earth is going on here like seriously look at this third quarter is loaded i mean in the third quarter you've got felix nakashima as a second round match you've got gasquet went deep last year huser's gone deep here before fukshevik's a good hardcore player sebi corda if he can find his game is good Zhang has had varying degrees of success in and out all year long uh, he's got a game for fast courts, but somehow does better on, sl- on slow courts. It, it's odd, but he's got the ability to cause upsets and, and wreak havoc. That's a loaded quarter. And then you go to the top half and you're like, Baez, Offner, Jere, injured all year, Van de Zanskulp, Juan Maserundolo, like Yannick Hoffman, out of form, Borda Chorich. Like Marcos Giroud is a guy that I legitimately think could make the final. I, I agree with you. Or like Alex Vukic. Is Alex Vukic the, the best in terms of like hardcourt prowess, game for a hardcourt with serve forehand and form combined. Is he, is he might like, is he the favorite in the top half? Seriously? It's weird. There's nothing up here. And I think that Alex Mickelson, as that's why I think he said, or alluded to, we might talk about him again. I think he's got a decent shot, man. Like you need to have some pop to really hit through him. And I don't see it in this half of the draw. Yeah, that's definitely why I, I, I said that because, yeah, this is, um, I mean, we saw it with uh, Arthur Fies, who is on in this draw in the bottom half, but, you know, when he had that run uh, the week before the French Open, this he, he definitely fits the profile of a guy uh, certainly motivated and doesn't have a ton in front of him. I mean, I said it was a, a tight match with um, Juan Pablo, and, and, it, and I only say that because it was 30-30 for most of Mickelson's service games in the first two sets like i think there was like one or two where jpv didn't like get into it a little bit but utter dominance in the third set so definitely a top end here against this this field i don't think that he's going to be walking in scared no and and 
honestly, we saw him, we saw him go deep in Newport, right? He's got that. This isn't the first, it's not like he's going to get to the second or third round or maybe quarterfinals and start to get nervous. Maybe, but he's been here before. Like, even though he's only played a few tournaments ever, it feels like he's, he's there. Like he's, he's done this. And so I, I just think that with his game, he's so like, he's so well-rounded, man. He's not completely underpowered, but he's far from having that like head turning, eye popping power. But he constructs points so well. He's so consistent from both wings. And if he does open space by constructing points well, you're, you, he knows that if you leave it somewhat short, he has the confidence to increase and inject that pace to hit through and, and find a clean winner. It's just, he's he's really good. And I think the, the tennis TV commentator did a good job talking about his technique really helping him there because he doesn't have like the natural power the or like the muscular kind of just height and... I'm going to hammer balls as hard as I can. It doesn't look like he's swinging that hard. He almost disguises it well. And that's something they brought up on the broadcast. And I completely agree. You don't know when he's when he's going to dial it up because every swing looks the same. It's just he takes it a bit earlier or he uses a bit more hip rotation, right? And that is kind of a weapon in and of itself. Just a very good game for a kid. Uh, and I'm glad, he, I mean, he had to forego uh, UGA next year. And I'm glad he did because honestly, he should be on the ATP tour now or at the very least a fixture on the challenger tour winning you know three four tournaments a year at that uh, at that level certainly it'll be a serve fest uh versus offer in the next round if he gets through that uh assuming jera but i do think a jera mickelson matchup that's going to be a tough tough match for mickelson a better quality opponent than than jpb as a former finalist here and going to make him work point to point uh what about yuri laheshka here on the bottom john uh, arguably outside of greek sport who as you know Greek Spar, I think, certainly has a chance to make the final here as well as as the, the as the two seed. But outside of Greek Spar, nobody here really that threatening. I mean, Altmaier, Rusevori, you could argue Laheshka has been the more consistent player of all these guys. His part of the bracket. Draper is another guy who just broke. What about a Draper as a dog versus Greek Spar next round? That would be a fun match. That would be a, a lot, a really fun match. Um, if you can get it, if you get it like in the evening where you're not so concerned about Draper in like 90 degree heat and maybe gets down to like 85, 80, 85, but the conditions are still playing somewhat quick from the, you know, the court is still somewhat warm and, and playing livelier where these two like to really just hammer the ball. That would be an, an entertaining match uh, for sure. It's funny because how many talented guys are in this Sorry, talented but unreliable are in this quarter. Like Yuri Lehechka, Emil Rusuvori, Talon Greeksport, Jack Draper. There's a lot of ball striking talent. If all four are playing well on their day when they play each other at any point, like you could have some popcorn tennis matches. But do you expect any of them to win five or six matches to take the title down? Never. And that's what makes this quarter so freaking interesting is like how on earth do you approach like who to trust. I mean, Pavel Kotov could be Yuri Lehechka in the next round. Yuri Lehechka could win the tournament. Neither of those two scenarios would surprise me. Yeah, agreed. Brandon Nakashima looked pretty good last night in the third set. Even though he was down, he kind of gamed up and was aggressive and, and he took that match from Kubler. He's been so piss poor all year, but man, tough to fade feast who's been a, a great bet all year and Nakashima has not, but this could be an event where we see a Nakashima resurface uh, and do something with his life for once. It would not shock me to see Brandon Nakashima in the final of this event. Yeah. I mean, he needs, he needs points at some point, right? Like he's got a San Diego title defense coming up. And if that doesn't go well, those 250 points as it stands right now could drop him out of the top hundred. So if he can pick up 
250 this week goes a long way to kind of easing some pressure into the the later the 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 latter stages of the 2023 season and look he's got the game for it these courts aren't mud slow so it's not like it's really good the courts are going to hurt him i don't think you know they're they're as quick as potentially his flatter style would prefer but the the quality competition is not that of a grand slam either right so that that, that kind of balances out I think the price point is right on that second rounder between Fields and Nakashima. It is lined very tightly. Nakashima is the ever so slight favorite. I, I think I have to agree with that. He he has been better than his results have showed this year. Like in so many matches, he looks so competitive, is playing some strong tennis. Last night, that 6-1 set, Kubler wasn't even playing that poorly. And that's why he was so frustrated. Not that he was getting his ass kicked, but that like, I don't think he thought he was playing a 1-6 set. You know what I mean? And he came back and led 5-1 in the second. And his level didn't, jump up all that much it was just nakashima's margins kind of went off a little bit instead of hitting you know on just inside that that tram line uh, on his shots he was hitting on the other side of it into the doubles alley and, and losing the point but like that kubler played a pretty damn decent match himself and nakashima had to overcome that and he, and he did and he got the break back in the third and got the mini break back in the third set tie break so i mean that's some mental strength we haven't seen as much from him kubler's had a good year he's a strong hardcore player I know that Fields has just that that more natural raw power, but Nakashima's fine in a counter-punching role. He can be an aggressor himself. He holds at a high rate, which should help him if Fields finds a purple patch serving-wise. I, I don't see why I would have Fields as the favorite. Now, I'm not going to say that Nakashima should be like minus 150. Like, I'm not saying he wins this match more, like, a lot, like, a lot of the time. I think it's pretty damn close to 50-50, and that's the way the market has seen it. Uh, yeah, for sure. And with Brandon, you know, part of the story of his year is that he was injured and uh that that's added to you know why we've seen him be so bad for so long uh, but uh, i would say that he can hang in these conditions uh certainly injury aside i would just say fitness wise it shouldn't shouldn't bother brando all right i think we've set it on the draw let's dip into some match play talk john well let's talk about mr mickelson uh, alex mickelson is a minus 155 money line favorite uh, sebastian offner is plus 130 the spread is two games. Total is at 23. If I had to guess, I'm double checking. Hoffner hasn't probably played on a hard court since March. February was the last time Hoffner played on a hard court. He didn't play the Golden Swing or the Sunshine Swing. He hasn't played an ATP tour on hard courts all, all season, right? Because the last time he played hard courts, uh, he was still a challenger player because it was before his big breakthroughs. So uh, he went to the, te- the Tenerife Challenger Final. Didn't really beat anyone significant there on a hard court like Marichon, Bonadio, Valkuz, Nardi, all prefer clay. Uh, the Aussie Open qualifying beat Melageni again. Dec- better than people think on hard courts, but more of a clay quarter. And then Alejandro Tabilo, decent win, and lost to Lejon Locali. So we, I know he's better than he was back in January, but we have not seen him ever really do much on hard courts. So I think that's probably why you're seeing this price point of Mickelson as a strong favorite, even though he's still relatively new to the tour. I think I like Mickelson playing two games here. <laughs> I mean, you're basically at plus one thirty. I mean, you're basically just counting on Offner to be uh, a veteran player here. Um, but I, I, with these, especially these courts in particular, I, I think are a little bit different and could take some time to adjust too. Uh, what do you think about this matchup, John? I honestly, I, I, I don't know if I like Mickelson as. A minus 150 favorite, but I can't argue with that either. I think it's probably just a pass for me. After st- like he has improved as the season's gone on, so it's hard to take that pre-play hardcourt form 
too much into account. But at the same time, you know, Yannick Hampton, I think was it, where did we see? Was it Cincinnati where he lost to Mackie McDonald? And it was just these guys that have a big serve, that are tall, that still have power, but prefer clay courts. You can see why, because the timing, they can be rushed on hard courts. Now, Cincinnati was obviously a lot quicker. Mackie takes the ball early, hits a very flat ball. So like all those things kind of culminated in Hoffman just not having a lot of time in baseline exchanges. But I mean, you could see that same thing to a lesser extent happening in this match, right? Uh, with Mickelson able to defend, defend, defend. And then when he when he sees an opportunity, try and inject more pace. And then all of a sudden, Offner just is a step slow, a step behind and can't get anything back uh, that isn't easy to put away. So, I, I mean, yeah, I get it. I think Mickelson should be probably maybe like a minus 145, minus 140 favorite, but it, it's not enough for me to make a bet on it here on, on Offner, that's for sure. We also have Ben Bonzi, who was down a break yesterday to fellow countryman Mueller, uh, and then suddenly remembered how to play tennis again. <laughs> Out of nowhere, breaks back, gets a straight set win. He's a four-game dog, plus 240 on the money line to Sebastian Corda. The total is a 22 here. I uh, certainly think if Bonzi is going to remember how to play tennis, uh, I would think he's a lot more live in this match uh, than it is currently booked. What do you think about this matchup, John? I just I don't know if I trust Corda at this point. But, God, that baseline advantage that he's going to have is just, it's big. And even movement-wise, like, he's a pretty decent move for a kid his size. And, and Bonesy's not some, like, super speedy or, like, court coverage specialist. It, it's all going to come down to the corner serve. Is the second serve vulnerable? Is the first serve landing? Does he have enough behind it? Um, and honestly, his return game hasn't been, I think, as sharp as, as you'd expect post-injury. Perhaps not expect, but where you'd want to see it progress to. And... If he's not going to be sharp on return and he's not going to be able to to poach a lot of second serve points or or start points on against Bonzi's first serve, this is going to be too tight for me to, to justify laying games with him. You know what I mean? It, it's two guys that I think Bonzi's looked terrible since that injury against Sitsi Pass where he had to retire. And uh, I think Monte Carlo was on clay somewhere. And he has not been the same since then. And we, we know Corda hasn't. So it's, it's kind of just a stay away for me at this point. I think Corda obviously should be a favorite. That baseline, that baseline advantage, like I said, it's just, it's, it's fairly large in this spot. But how do you trust laying games with, with Corda the way one he's returned in the way two? His serve can be the vulnerable aspect to his game if Ben Bonesy can get a lot of balls back in play. These two have played twice in the past. Uh, Bonesy hasn't won a set yet. They played last year uh, in Estoril. Uh, six three six three, they played indoor on the challenger scene, uh, and in France in 2021, two tiebreak sets, uh, but you know typical kind of indoor uh, scoreline there. Uh, well, see, and that's the thing too is like the courts may not be as fast as as like a, a French indoor challenger, but like Corda's dip in in his return game since he's come back or at least his his dip in ability to to win lopsided sets against these caliber players has also kind of reared its ugly head so i think that's what kind of pushes me off of it even with a head-to-head which isn't my favorite metric in the, to begin with but even with a head-to-head in his favorites it, it's really tough to, to pull the trigger on that the 2-0 is minus 110 for for quarter to win this in straight set fashion if you do want to back quarter i, I, I I would lean that 
because that that four is pretty hefty, man. <laughs> Although, I mean, Bonzi was like, even though I was score tracking that match versus Mueller, and uh, Bonzi was definitely struggling to hold serve, even though he, I think he was only ended up being broken the the, the one time, uh, but had to battle back uh, from like fifteen forty down on serve. Could could get ugly against Corda there. Yannick Hoffman is a four-game favorite, minus 300 on the money line. Juan Ma, Surundolo, off his big win, plus 240 on the money line as a dog. Total is at 22. Uh, I would think this is, uh, I mean, Juan Ma had the nice dog win in round one, but I would think this is a, a prime setup here for, for Mr. Hoffman in this match. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things too where try to look at look at the matchup and where does I talked about why he struggled against Mackey, right? Hoffman in Cincinnati. Well, you slow the courts down a bit and you take him and t- take him from playing a guy like Mackey McDonald who doesn't have huge power, but he has a lot more than than Juan Macedo does. Uh he he takes the ball early and he hits flatter. He hits a flatter ball, which both are things that take time away from your opponent, right? Those are all things that can hurt Hoffman on a quick hard court. On a medium hard court, Sendel hits a lot of spin, doesn't have almost any power uh, to a baseline game. Where exactly is he going to trouble Hoffman? And Hoffman is going to find far more. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a match that could find a lot of breaks go both ways. But if you're going to find easier holds along the way, you would think Hoffman is going to have the vast majority of those easy holds, right? It's just, I don't see where Sedundolo troubles Hoffman. I don't think Hoffman is particularly error prone, especially if he can play a more topspin oriented game because he has more time to set up his shots, which he will. And he's got the bigger weapons and he's probably more want to come to net, right? He's probably more apt uh, in that position. Now, Sedundolo can hit his passing shots. He's That's what he does is a precision-based kind of player. But if you can come in and win often enough, like Purcell did against Alcaraz, you're you're looking to shorten points against these these rally tolerance based guys. You don't mind winning 55, 60, 65 percent if you can do that at net and just take the kind of the racket out of his hand and force him into playing shorter points. You make that trade off. It's a great matchup for Hoffman, I, I think. And and I'm seeing, um, you know, your your three and a half is a bit expensive at minus one twenty five at Unibet. The four is is just under plus money. It's at minus one hundred two. So I mean, at that point, you're asking yourself, is this a four and a half game spread? And if it is, then you're obviously hitting that that four. Um, I'm on the fence. I do think I probably back Hoffman. Like the minus one and a half sets is actually more tempting at plus one hundred six. Uh, if he's going to cover the four, I'll, I'll take the eight cents of of cheaper cost and and take the two nothing here. This might be one actually where people are hot to bet Sarundalo off, off the the big dog win, and you you might see the price come down on Hoffman. Uh, I don't think that you're going to see a ton of closing line value on Hoffman. I think people uh, will look at his recent head to head with some losses to traditional hard quarters and be amped to get another dog win. I hope so. <laughs> I, would, I would I would be happy with that. All right, John. Well, I'm going to play Nakashima against uh, Feast. Uh, Feast will probably make me put on my clown makeup once again, but uh, uh, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to back my my guy Brando. So let's pivot into USO qualifier uh, peripheral talk here. 
is Munar playing Quaco here? Is that a matchup? Yeah. Now what's first round? Yeah. Uh, oof. <laughs> I mean, but I feel like the books will be onto that one, and Quaco will be a pretty significant favorite. No, I, he hasn't played that well. I I don't know if he'll be a significant favorite. Um, he hasn't been great since he came back from injury either. Like there's some guys that are really struggling out there. And I think he's one of them. Munar is God, he's a he's a, a tough guy to play against, even on a hard court. I don't I wouldn't take him to win the section. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins this match, but I mean Bellucci Kakushkin's not an easy second round, and then likely Harold Mayo in that in that final qualifying round, or even Julio Zeppieri, if he's playing well, he's got a lot of pop, even though he's a clay quarter. It's a bitch of a a, a path for for Munar to to go through to get into that main draw. Ooh, what about uh, Gakov Spida? Gakov Svida, that'll be a weird yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it might be a little too quick for for Gakov here. I actually don't mind Zach's chances in that, but certainly a, a pretty interesting matchup for sure. Uh, a lot of, and it's going to be pretty different too. I don't think Svida plays with a ton of spin, and yet you're going to get a ton of spin. From Ivan Gakov, it's just how he plays more of a natural clay quarter, but should be fun. I think. Look at the other one is Duckworth against Baby Bros Fida. I mean, that is just like poor kid gets a wild card into the qualies and like here, go go play against James Duckworth, the guy who loves hard courts, like quicker courts, has power, and is a veteran of the ATP tour. Like, come on, man, the poor kid. Give Baby Fida Gakov and give older brother. Like, I think he's the older brother. Zach, give him Duckworth. Like, make it make it a fair fight in, in these matchups. Uh, what about popcorn match candidate uh, for round one? Borna Goyo, Hamad Medvedevich. Like, that's some power going back and forth on the court in that one. Yeah, oh, I, I I probably go with. Geez, and this is one of those things where who do you take? I think Medvedevich is the more explosive talented player but i mean borna goyo's got far more experience on the hard courts right especially u.s hard courts i believe he went to wake forest i was surprised he he wasn't in winston-salem this week to be honest with you uh but i guess this is why right he's got to qualify for the u.s open so there you go well he's a quality legend goyo yeah that might be some uh some overlooks in that one if you can get a neutral if they hang a neutral 22 and a half in that one i should Mm -hmm. be ticked up want to see where that over two and a half sets price comes in. Maybe a tie break in the match price comes in. A lot of different over angles to look at there. Because I think, you know, when you play those tie break props too, it's like not the first set ones because you only have one set to hit those. But that's why I went with the over one and a, or over 0.5 tie breaks with Papirin and, and Herkatch. If your numbers show like a decent amount of third sets being like, if you, if you played the match a thousand times, if you see a decent number of third sets on offer, that's kind of like you, you give yourself an extra set to crack the tiebreak uh, market. This is one I feel like will probably go three sets fairly often. And that's going to give you a little more room to play with tiebreak props, right? Make them a little bit more valuable if, if the books don't um, factor that into their their kind of price points. Speaking of uh, tiebreaks and uh, serve-oriented matches, Tiago Montero versus Impeci Paracard. Now, I actually think Montero... Might have a slight edge in that match. I don't know how good Paracard is from the baseline. Um, not that Montero is like a baseline legend, uh, but just a little bit more uh, veteran player. What do you think about that one, John? Yeah. He's also got a little bit of pop. He can play with heavy spin and 
on a hard court. I mean, a spin isn't as effective, but he's still a lefty going into a one-handed backhand, right? Like, and it's not a good one. So it's it's like I I fear for the matchup here against a lefty. I know Montero's not necessarily a hard quarter by trade, but he does have a big enough game to use the hard courts to his advantage, especially on serve. And he's got that kind of cross court matchup into the Ampechi Paracard backhand that is just going to be whether he's hitting it flat and hard and he can take time away from uh, the young Frenchman or whether he's hitting it with spin and just peppering that wing and waiting for the inevitable error. It's a it's a decisive advantage for him, right? And I think that's going to be that could be the deciding factor in that matchup. Uh, how cruel is this for Tennis Sangren and Dennis Kudla that uh, one of them has to take out the other in round one? Here? <laughs> hey, the two American vets are in without a wild card. I think they should just be happy about that. You know what I mean? Like it's it's been a rough year for these guys. It's been a rough couple of years for tennis, to be honest. Uh, yeah. My guy that I love, uh, Delaborce for China. Uh, tough, <laughs> tough draw here versus uh, Melagini Alves. Uh, I think this might be the end of the road for Delaborce for China's USO quality run. You know, I thought the same thing in Australia where the courts are even quicker. And he, what do you know? He went through and qualified, did he not? I, yeah, he beat uh, Leandro Reedy in that, that final round of qualies. So, like, don't write your boy off, man. He did it in Australia. He did it in Australia. He got around one do win. It there, he could, yeah, he could probably do it here. I mean, these courts are probably a little more to his liking, but they'll, his serve will still play up a little bit, right? So it'll be a little less attackable than even on clay courts where he prefers to be. I uh, I, I certainly think that, that he's got a chance. By the way, before we go, I want to give my dark horse pick to qualify. I don't know how big of a dark horse this really is, but considering the love, you know, Christian Garin's got the name recognition. Okay, and Gabriel Diallo is going to have a lot of love after his impressive run in Canada that some people consider impressive. I don't. That section to me, Mark Lyell, young Estonian, watch for him. That is my dark horse pick to sneak into the main draw from that second section. I love it. All right, John. Well, we could say more actually about this qualifying draw, but we have to go ooh, to Bilo Millman. Millman, I don't think has played all the year. Um, Tabilo is maybe the most random player on tour in terms of oh. his <laughs> to, in terms of his wins. Yeah, uh, his results. It, it's yeah. it's incredible. Oh, so how about Bergs to... and, and Kazo? How about that for a, the first round qualies match? I'm just I'm just starting to see some of these for the first time, and wowza, that is a fun one. Fonini has to qualify. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Is he, dude? I'm. Is he gonna want to grind? Like, is this a potential dog spot here? Like, is he like just like f this? <laughs> I don't know because I saw him in quali- in challenger draws during the summer, and I was like, yeah, I don't trust him at all. And he he kind of looked like he cared. The only time he didn't was when, of course, I bet him in Switzerland, and he had a break lead. And blew it, lost the tie break, and then it started raining. Or it rained in the tie break, and he came back the next day, lost the tie break, and lost the second set 1-6. As soon as that rain started and they called it off to play the next day, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, he's coming back, and he's going to try and spend under a half hour on court on <laughs> on the next day. So, I don't know. He's looked like he's cared. But Jakub Menschik, I mean, he's probably one of the top five, maybe top seven, just to give myself a little, uh, a little plausible, like a little... Room for error, margin for error here. Perhaps one of the top seven teenage players in men's tennis. That ain't an easy draw for the first round. 
And then either Reedy, I think Reedy, Reedy's been pretty poor himself since coming back uh, as well. But if he beats Caboli, that's not necessarily an easy draw. That's a, this is a tough section uh, for Fabio Fanini. All right. Well, we're running out of time. Follow John at Tibbetts Tennis, at JR Tweets Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, until next time, see you on the court.